the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Georgine Rice Show on this Thursday afternoon. Today we'll have a conversation with Josh Burnett, author of um, Adulting 101. He's a Chick-fil-A owner and the co-author of the book, the second edition published by Broad Street. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. And there's a lot more coming up. We'll just leave it at that. Oh, and we'll be giving away our a pair of tickets to the Maverick City concert coming to the Portland area with Kirk Franklin. So keep your ears. I don't think you keep your ears peeled. But whatever you do with your ears, keep them that way because we'll be giving that away. And by the way, just a little hint. Don't tell anybody, but it'll be in the second hour of today's program. Well, I mentioned yesterday at the very top of the program that there had been another shooting in Tulsa at a hospital. Well, that Tulsa shooting um, the victims have been identified as well as the gunman. Uh, the Tulsa police have identified a um, recent patient as the gunman. He was accused of a mass shooting at an Oklahoma hospital yesterday. Two of the four victims were doctors at the hospital, including one who had recently performed back surgery on the attacker. The police said during a briefing earlier today, the gunman killed four and then himself on the second floor of the Natalie Medical Building at St. Francis Hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma, according to police. The gunman was identified. He underwent surgery with the doctor, Dr. Preston Phillips, on the 19th of this month, or excuse me, last month. And the following days and weeks uh, up to the morning of the shooting, he complained of pain and sought additional treatment. Well, investigators later found a note on the scene that authorities said made it clear that the gunman intended to kill Dr. Phillips and anyone who got in his way. Well, those who got in his way included another doctor, a patient, and I believe a nurse on that wing. Separately, Tulsa Police Chief Wendell Franklin said the shooter's wife also called police, telling them that he contacted her and told her what he had done. He blamed Dr. Phillips for the ongoing pain following the surgery. The other victims, Dr. Stephanie Hewson, Amanda Glenn and William Love, were also on the scene. Police arrived there three minutes after the initial 911 call, which is remarkable, three minutes placed by the patient who was in the middle of a remote meeting with a doctor who was inside the facility at the time. As they were announcing themselves and approaching the second story where the active shooting uh, was underway, responding officers heard a gunshot that they believed um, the shooter inflicted upon himself. The gunshot was uh, at 4.48 p.m. local time, approximately 39 minutes after the first officer entered the building. Then they walked in on the uh, carnage. They found the first victim who later died on an examining uh, exam room table, a patient at the facility. Well, President Biden today will address the nation on mass shootings and his push for gun control legislation. The White House announced uh, the president's um, address will focus on the recent tragic mass shootings and the need for Congress to act to pass common sense, as he puts it, laws to combat the epidemic of gun violence that's taking lives every day. 
That's according to the White House. The president's address comes as Congress is debating the Protect Our Kids Act. It's an expansive piece of gun control legislation that Democrats argue is common sense, while Republicans say is unconstitutional. The renewed push for gun control legislation comes after a pair of mass shootings, killing 31 people in total in recent weeks. Ten Americans were killed in a racially motivated mass shooting in New York in early April. Nineteen children and two teachers in Uvalde, Texas, at an elementary school last Last week, the president is expected to appeal to Republicans during his address. He's discounted some Republicans as unreasonable on the issue. However, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is among the reasonable ones, according to the president. As a nation, uh, the president said last week, we have to ask when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? Uh, Will we um, what will we do um, when we know in our gut what needs to be done? We have to act. Don't tell me we can't have an impact on this carnage, he added. Well, the president, again, will be speaking this evening from one side of the issue and Congress is debating from the other side, or I should say from both sides as well. Well, Uvalde School District Police Chief Pete Arandondo, uh, who commanded the police response at the Robb Elementary School shooting, was unaware of the 911 calls that were coming from inside the school building when he declared the situation was no longer an active shooting, but a barricaded subject, according to a Texas state senator. The revelation comes after officials said that the shooter, the 18-year-old, barricaded himself in two adjoining classrooms where he killed 19 students and the two teachers for more than an hour as as many as 19 police officers gathered outside the classroom but did not engage him. Well, Texas Department of Public Safety Director Steve McCraw said local officers waited too long to enter the school and engage the shooter during a press conference on Friday. He said the... um, Police chief believed the situation was no longer an active shooting, but a barricaded subject under the assumption that all the children inside the two connected classrooms were dead, despite students inside the room still calling 911 for help. It's just difficult to even think back on those events as they unfolded. Well, the state senator, Roland Gutierrez, said 911 calls were going to city uh, police, but were not communicated to the chief calling it a system failure, speaking to the Associated Press. Well, federal Border Patrol agents ultimately killed the shooter after entering the school on their own, defying the local law enforcement that had asked them to hold back, two senior federal law enforcement sources told NBC News. McCross said that last week, of course, it was not the right decision. It was the wrong decision, period, to wait instead of immediately engaging the shooter. There's no excuse for that, and investigations continue. Well, in the wake of the Texas shooting, debate over school resource officers in Oregon has resurfaced. The mass shooting there at the elementary school has parents and school officials all across the country, including Oregon, asking what can be done to keep students and teachers safe. You can't necessarily, gun laws uh, to the contrary, prevent these kinds of events from happening. Some want to know if school resource officers should return to districts that took police officers off campuses. One of those parents, Vanessa Ellison, whose son is a second grade student enrolled at Salem-Kaiser Public School, says she was very upset when uh, they took them out. Uh, When thinking about the school shooting in Texas, um, she became teary-eyed. My son... Only has 18 children in his whole classroom, she said. And I told my daughter that they could um, could have been his whole class. Well, Ellison is one of many parents calling on districts to reconsider utilizing police officers stationed in schools known as school resource officers or SROs. 
Numerous emails from parents who called on Salem-Kaiser school officials to reinstate the SROs are being collected. Uh, collected. It's just like, why wait for it to happen? Why not use it, referring to SROs, as a deterrent? Uh, Ms. Ellison went on to say she referenced a recent school lockdown in the district. It's just like what you uh, you do expect. Do you expect all these teachers to try to stop the shooter? And that debate all across the country is unfolding here in Oregon as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Democrats and Republican lawmakers clashed during an intense markup of a gun control bill today as House Judiciary Committee members debated different facets of the issues, including the constitutionality of measures proposed by Democrats. The bill known as the Protect Our Children Act calls for raising the legal limit to purchase firearms from 18 to 21, restricting certain transfers of firearms and ensuring traceability, as well as imposing requirements on the storage of guns in the home. Republicans pointed to the constitutional problems with the bill, while Democrats accused them of hiding behind an excuse. We've heard these same tired arguments that somehow we can do this. We can't do this because of the Constitution. That is not true. That's a quote from one representative, David Cicilline, a Democrat from Rhode Island. The Supreme Court of the United States has said time and time again, the Second Amendment is not absolute. The Congress and states have the ability and I would say the responsibility to ensure that there are appropriate restrictions both on age, on places where you can bring firearms and the kind of firearms you can possess. So don't let our Republican colleagues hide behind that claim that, oh, we'd love to do something, but the Constitution forbids it. Representative Dan Bishop, a Republican from North Carolina, however, argued what it is, uh, uh, what it is uh, true that the bill has constitutional problems, starting with raising the age limit. He pointed to the Ninth Circuit um, case of Jones versus Bonta, where the court said last month that a California ban on selling centerfire semi-automatic weapons to people ages 18 to 20 was constitutional. It goes through this long analysis of the history of the Second Amendment and says those rights to self-defense at the core of the Second Amendment, that 18 to 20 year olds are covered by that right, Bishop said, noting that he believes the same goes for every other right in the Bill of Rights. Regarding home storage restrictions, Bishop argued that the Supreme Court case in District of Columbia versus Heller, which recognized the right to possess a gun in one's home for self-defense, plainly prohibits them. But there's a willingness to just ram through this package, and the answer is, we don't have any patience for you if you are objecting. The voices are raised. The accusations are made. Republicans are complicit. I can't tell you this, or rather, I can tell you this, and let me uh, be clear. You are not going to bully your way into stripping Americans of fundamental rights. So that gives you a bit of a profile of the debate that's going on uh, back and forth. Now, there is apparently a group of Democrats and Republicans that have taken a middle way, and we'll try to follow what uh, what comes of that. But there are some who are encouraged by what they are very likely to come up with. Uh, in the meantime, meanwhile, Representative uh, Mondaire Jones on Thursday said Democrats will abolish the Senate filibuster and pack the Supreme Court in order to pass more restrictions on guns as the House prepares to advance their package on gun bills next week. Jones is a Democrat from New York. He made the comments at the House Judiciary Committee markup on a package called uh, Protecting Our Kids. The emergency committee meeting was called by Chairman Jerry Nadler. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today, he added. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it. 
and you will not rest and we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities each and every day. Well, the constitutionality of that being in question, again, gives you some idea of the challenge that members of Congress are facing in trying to come up with a solution to a problem that doesn't address the heart of the issue, uh, just the the munitions that are used in these uh, in these massacres. Cal Thomas points out that the heightened debate over gun violence following the massacre of 19 children and two teachers at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, is leaving out one critical element. The debate starts at the wrong end. And certainly there should be a a debate on all of it. But he suggests they start at the wrong end. Isaac Newton's third law of thermodynamics states for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. While Newton's laws were about physics, the concept of action and reaction of cause and effect could be applied in other areas, such as violent people who use guns to kill others. Notice I said violent people, not gun violence. Instead of starting with guns, we should begin at the beginning. If voters elect liberal district attorneys and liberal judges who release dangerous criminals, sometimes with low or no bail, that is an action. The opposite reaction is that many of them will commit new crimes. As the Conservative Heritage Foundation notes, the most prominent rogue prosecutors are George Gascon of Los Angeles, Chesa Bowden of San Francisco, Kim Fox of Chicago, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, Marilyn Mosby of Baltimore, Kimberly Gardner of St. Louis, and Rachel Rollins in Boston. There are others like Milwaukee District Attorney John Chisholm. The UK Daily Mail reports that Chisholm told an interviewer, if there's going to be an individual I divert or put into a program who's going to go out and kill you, you bet. Chisholm's office gave a deferred prosecution to a convicted drug dealer after his release, reports the Mail. That dealer fatally injected a 26-year-old woman with heroin and then tried to hide her body. The man, Daryl Brooks, was caught but released on $1,000 bond. bond rather. Within a week or weeks, um, Brooks drove through the Christmas parade, killing five people. He previously had been convicted of a felony for running over the mother of his children. Once again, an action, low bail for a dangerous criminal, produced a reaction, the deaths of innocent people. In our schools and culture, if the action is to refuse to teach right from wrong, the reaction will be the creation of a generation of people who behave as they wish. The McGuffey readers were used in many American public schools in 1836 to 1936. They contained sayings and lessons designed to conform young people to a standard of behavior that was good for them, their families, and the wider culture. These values included patriotism, respect for parents, honesty, hard work as a path to success. They also promoted the necessity of religious faith as the foundation for a better life. Here's one excerpt from the 1879 edition. Religion, the only basis of society. How powerless conscience would become without the belief of a God. Erase all thought and fear of God from a community and self uh, selfishness and sensuality would absorb the whole man. Man would become what the theory of atheism declares him to be, end quote. Well, again, action and reaction. Teaching moral absolutes and faith produced one kind of person. Failure to teach these values, in fact, their opposite, has predictably created a different type of human in modern times. The type who shoot up schools and kill children. Can anyone credibly assert that the concepts contained in those old books failed to create adults who respected the law, life, and the property of others? as opposed to what's being taught and not taught in schools and by the culture today. Attempts to ban certain guns will not solve the problem. Recalling the teaching ancient truths will help. That will require a different kind of action than what's 
being experienced in recent years, restoring those time-tested values is more likely to produce a different reaction we claim to want, but are unable to get by passing more laws. Again, Cal Thomas on the missing element in the debate. And certainly the debate should cover all aspects of the issue, but certainly not exclude this one. Star Parker points out that once again, the nation has witnessed a horrible, pointless act of violence with innocent children, the victims. And once again, we hear from uh, those uh, that the answer is only one solution. If we look at what generally characterizes the mindset of those generally young men who commit these acts, we see what generally characterizes the mindset that has taken hold of our whole culture, victimhood, blame and denial of personal responsibility. Can this be an accident? She asks. Kudos to the Wall Street Journal for having the courage to point to these incidents as signs of a social and spiritual problem in our country. The rise of family dysfunction and the decline of mediating institutions such as churches and social clubs have consequences. The signs of a society that is sick are all around us. The collapse of the family, the collapse of interest in marriage and having children. In 2021, 107 Thousand Americans died from drug overdoses, an all-time high, and a 15% increase over the previous year. According to the National Institutes of Mental Health, the suicide rate in the U.S. increased 35.2% from 1999 to 2018, and that's before the pandemic. Suicide was the second leading cause of death among young people, ages 10 to 34, and the fourth leading cause of death among individuals aged 34 to 44. A characteristic common to suicides and mass killings is that the perpetrators are disproportionately male. Men, generally young men, commit indiscriminate mass murders and men take their own lives at a rate almost four times higher than women. She goes on from there, but uh, goes on to say, I do not pretend that the answer is simple. I certainly agree that security measures should be taken, particularly in schools. George Washington warned the nation in his farewell address that there is no freedom without faith, tradition, and personal responsibility. The same liberals who have helped wipe this uh, this out now want more government in the way of new gun laws to solve what is a cultural and spiritual crisis, armed by those very weapons. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'd like to invite you to join me at the Pathways Clinic Run for Life. It's their 10th anniversary celebration that's coming up this Saturday at the Reflection Plaza in Washougal. There's something for everyone with a one-mile and 5K walk or a 10K run along the beautiful Columbia River Dyke Trail and a concert from Mark Lee of Third Day After the Walk. Registration begins at 7.30 a.m. Chris and Crystal from The Fish will also join me, and the walk run begins at 9 a.m. There'll be fun for all ages before, during, and after the race, including inspirational words, well, from me. So food, games, vendors, and live music by Mark Lee of Third Day. All of that coming up this Saturday with the Pathways Clinic Run for Life. That'll be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Well, doctors at the Providence Cancer Institute here in Portland are celebrating the successful application of a new immunotherapy to drastically reduce a patient's tumor size. The treatment published this week in the New England Journal of Medicine came about when Kathy Wilkes of Florida reached out to Providence from across the country. Her pancreatic cancer was back and had metastasized into her lungs. It's one of the deadliest forms of cancer, says uh, Dr. Eric Tran. 
who's with the Research Institute. Uh, Wilkes had fought her cancer with every conventional treatment, including surgery, radiation, and multiple rounds of chemotherapy. I knew I didn't want to continue doing chemo. I would, uh, it would not save my life, she says in an interview with Providence. It might prolong it, but not the quality of life I would want. So I researched immunotherapy. She found Tran's previous research and asked him for help. Well, the oncologist at Providence, Dr. Rom Leidner, joined Tran to develop a special single patient trail, a rather trial to tackle her cancer cause. Jumped into action, Leidner said during the news conference in Portland. Uh, that was yesterday. Well, the adoptive cell therapy involved drawing her blood, then isolating her immune system's T cells. Those cells were reprogrammed to target a specific mutation of her cancer cells. The doctors manipulated. Uh, multiplied uh, the invigorated T cells and infused 16 billion of them back into her system uh, in uh, June of 2021. It was cutting edge, almost science fiction, sort of an approach. Within 30 days, her tumor had shrunk 62%. And six months later, the tumor had stabilized at a 72% reduction of the original size. It is amazing. Well, it certainly is that. Uh, Living now as if she's cancer free, the doctor said. And although her tumor is not completely gone, doctor said the treatment is keeping it in check and helping her live without symptoms. I had hope and I had the belief that I was going to live. Wilkes said the new treatment is historic here in Portland. Providence Cancer Institute, first in the world to target a mutation with this sort of therapy. And that will very likely be uh, replicated around not only the country, but very possibly around the world. Well, Oregon gubernatorial candidate Betsy Johnson has raised more than $3 million this year, and she's been openly campaigning for months. But because she's running as a non-affiliated candidate, she's not technically on the ballot just yet. Well, state-recognized parties nominate their candidates, but non-affiliated candidates need signatures and a petition to have their names printed on the general ballot. Candidates can also run as write-ins. Well, as a non-affiliated candidate, Johnson needs to collect thousands of signatures from registered Oregon voters. Her rather unique status at this point in the governor's race may have an impact on any ramifications from an event over Memorial Day weekend. Well, TEDx Portland apologized Saturday after they added a surprise talk with Betsy Johnson to their event lineup. The nonprofit called Johnson a potential political candidate in its apology, even though she was introduced before the interview as a candidate for governor. Well, Johnson is considered a gubernatorial candidate by the Oregon Secretary of State's office, having filed a statement of purpose with her political action committee. All campaign finance rules currently apply to her as well. However, Johnson still needs 23,744 signatures from registered Oregon voters to get on the ballot. Well, that qualification process started two weeks ago when Johnson's campaign uh, filed for a prospective certificate to collect signatures. A total of 23,744 represents 1% of the votes cast in the most recent presidential election, a requirement that's dictated by the state. Well, Johnson's campaign has to turn in signatures and have at least 23,000, I don't need to say the number again, verified by Oregon's Elections Division with the SOS office by August the 30th in order to qualify for the the ballot. So she's not technically yet on Oregon's ballot for governor. Well, Michael Avenatti, the former attorney for Stormy Daniels, was sentenced to four years in prison today for stealing nearly $300,000 in book advance money from the uh, 
the author. The sentencing comes after a federal jury convicted Avenatti in February of aggravated identity fraud and wire fraud, for which he faced up to two years in prison and 20 years in prison, respectively. Well, the jury found Avenatti stole two advance payments from Daniels in 2018 from a book deal she signed following the revelation that she received $130,000 in hush money from former President uh, Donald Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen. To remain quiet about an alleged affair she and Trump had at before the 2016 presidential election. Trump has denied that entanglement. Well, Avenatti also previously received a 2.5 year sentence in a separate case for trying to extort Nike out of $25 million. He'll serve a portion of the new sentence alongside the jail sentence he is already serving from the Nike extortion case. In total, he faces five years in prison, according to Reuters. Well, in a series of royal celebrations, Britain is celebrating 70 years of Queen Elizabeth II's reign at a platinum jubilee ceremony. She is the longest running um, a sovereign in not just uh, British history, but in world history. Well, woke capital Stacey Abrams is on the uh, board of a group giving millions to push critical race theory and the abolition of prison. Calling it a flop, MSNBC, CNN and ABC gloat over the Clinton attorney Sussman's acquittal and cast doubt on the Durham probe. President Biden uh, took an unprecedented and possibly illegal step to cancel $6 billion in student loan debt and saying he didn't want to be preached to. A Harvard graduate walked out of Merrick Garland's commencement address. Americans say the president's economic achievements have fallen flat despite White House initiatives. Republican Representative um, Jim Jordan and Matt Gates have sent a letter demanding answers from the Federal Bureau of Investigation regarding a secure work environment the Bureau has apparently been operating for years in the Washington, D.C. office of the Democratic law firm Perkins Coy. Gates told Tucker Carlson on Fox News Tuesday night that he received a letter from Perkins Coy lawyers confirming that the FBI has been maintaining a secure work environment within Perkins Coy office for more than a decade, dating back to 2012, and that it is still in operation today. Perkins Coy is responsible to the FBI for maintaining the secure work environment, the letter reportedly said. In a midterm warning, the GOP says the Biden administration is directly responsible for gas prices, inflation, and they'll pay for it in the midterms. In a commercial um, controversy, the Democrat wore a noose in a new ad blasting GOP Senator Rand Paul. Still on top, Fox News crushes MSNBC, CNN viewership in May. The Five finishes as the most watched show on cable news. Offering selective coverage, expert point uh, an expert rather points out that the media largely ignored the Sussman trial until the verdict allowed the Durham probe to be smeared. Tucker Carlson warns that while leaders disarm you, they are busy decriminalizing serious crimes. The two don't quite add up. And a woman who was uh, shot earlier this year in an attack on a New York City subway is suing the manufacturer of the gun used in the crime, claiming the injuries she suffered were a direct result of the company's marketing and sales tactics. Uh, She was one of 10 people shot uh, of the 29 injured when a suspect opened fire on a train in Brooklyn in April. Prosecutors say the alleged perpetrator used a Glock 17 pistol in the incident and that he purchased the handgun legally from an Ohio pawn shop in 2011. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. The president just finished his remarks suggesting we need a ban on assault weapons. It was a very short address. He did not take questions from reporters who were there present. If you'd like to hear the president's speech, I'm sure that's uh, going to be easily found online. Well, in a Tulsa medical building shooting, five were killed, including the gunman and the surgeon he targeted. Four people were killed in the shooting at a medical center in Tulsa on Wednesday, according to authorities, adding that the suspected shooter was also dead of self-inflicted wounds. USA Today reports that it was unclear what prompted the deadly assault until sometime later when it was made clear that he intended to shoot the surgeon who had done a back surgery on him sometime earlier. The average parent spends decades paying off their kids' student loans, according to the Business Insider. On Tuesday, the Century Foundation, a left-leaning think tank, released a report analyzing Parent PLUS loans, the most expensive type of federal student loan that parents can take out to pay for their kids' higher educations. Held by over 3.7 million families in the U.S. and totaling $104 billion in student debt. PLUS loans have the highest interest rates of any federal loan. As the report found, the average PLUS loan borrower still has 55% of the initial balance remaining after 10 years of repayment and 38% after 20 years. Presuming those parents are only halfway through their debt payments, the report said that most parents spend more time paying off student loans than they did raising their kids. Century Foundation also says because low-income families and especially black and Latino parents are disproportionately taking out Parent PLUS loans, their heavy use and unfavorable terms and conditions exacerbate the racial wealth gap. The situation presents particular quandaries for the um, the HBCUs where use of these loans is greatest. California released a report calling for reparations for black Americans. A California task force on reparations, the first of its kind in the nation, is set to release a report outlining several ways to address what it believes to be wrongs committed by the state against black Americans in the state. The report calls for expanded voter registration policies to hold police more accountable in cases of alleged brutality and recommends the creation of a special office that would, in part, help black Americans who descended from free or enslaved black people in the country at the end of the 19th century Uh, document their eligibility for financial restitution. The report, which runs 500 pages, will be the first government commission study on harms against the African-American community since 1968 Kerner Commission report ordered by President Lyndon Johnson's task force uh, chairman. USA Today says the report includes a broad range of preliminary recommendations, including increasing access to parks and public uh, transportation in black neighborhoods, stopping banking and mortgage-related discrimination, establishing a free tuition initiative, and adopting a school curriculum that includes more expansive discussion of the experiences of black Americans. The U.S. Marine Corps has gone woke. PJ Media reports the U.S. Marine Corps unabashedly showed its woke colors for LGBT Pride Month in a tweet posted Wednesday morning. The U.S. Marines' official Twitter account posted an image of rainbow-painted bullets and a strap of a combat helmet with Proud to Serve inscribed on it. U.S. Marines uh, on Twitter uh, say that throughout June, the USMC takes a hashtag pride in recognizing and honoring the contributions of our LGBTQ service members. Breitbart weighs in, saying Biden's Department of State followed suit, posting Celebrity Pride Month posts on social media. One of the images posted by the Department of State features a redesign of the, the Pride flag, dubbed the Progress Pride flag. According to a recent poll, Americans favor arming teachers 
Town Hall reports that conducted by the Trafalgar Group, the poll surveyed 1,091 general election voters and found that 57.5 percent of voters believe schools are somewhat or much more dangerous without teachers who carry a legal firearm and are properly trained to use it. This leaves just over a mere 30 percent who oppose it. While 67.7% of those voters are Republicans, almost half at 48.2% are Democrats in favor of arming teachers. The poll also suggests that a younger age group of 18 to 24 year olds support the idea that teachers who have access to guns will be able to protect themselves and students. The Daily Wire says among all political breakdowns, arming property trained teachers was the most popular position. Republicans voiced the largest amount of support for armed educators uh, saying it would make schools more safe with 19.4% saying the opposite. A plurality of Democrats agreed with 48.2% telling pollsters that armed and trained teachers made schools less dangerous versus 41.3% saying the opposite. Some gas prices have surpassed federal minimum wage. Motorists across the U.S. are grappling with gasoline prices that are reaching new records almost daily, but the pain isn't evenly distributed across the nation. Take the handful of locations where a gallon of regular fuel now costs as much as the federal minimum wage, $7.25. It's a painful threshold that prices at the pump have reached in at least 15 stations all in California, according to Gas Buddy. Granted, the minimum wage in California is far above the federal minimum, with workers in the state earning at least $14 an hour, but paying $7.25 a gallon or more still takes a chunk out of the typical paycheck. Once again, Breitbart says the soaring gas prices has fueled President Joe Biden's inflation. On Tuesday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen admitted during a press interview she and the president had failed to accurately assess that inflation would climb to a 40-year high. Russia has conducted nuclear drills and the president of the United States announced more rocket systems to Ukraine. The Business Insider reports that Russia's nuclear forces are conducting drills involving intensive maneuvering of its missile forces, the Interfax news agency reported on Wednesday, citing the Russian Defense Ministry. News of the exercises in the Ivanovo province came after President Biden revealed on Tuesday that the U.S. would provide more advanced rocket systems to Ukraine. About 1,000 military personnel and more than 100 pieces of equipment are taking part in Russia's latest exercises. Fox News reports that Biden said the weaponry is part of the latest military aid package for Ukraine, but stressed that his administration is not enabling the Ukrainians to strike outside their own border. The Buffalo shooter has been indicted by a grand jury. The Associated Press reports that the white man accused of killing 10 black people in a racist attack on a Buffalo supermarket was indicted by a grand jury yesterday on a state domestic terrorism and hate crimes charge that would carry a mandatory sentence of life in prison. Peyton Gendron is scheduled to be arraigned and was earlier today on the new 25 count indictment, which builds on a previous murder charge hastily prepared in the hours after the May 14th shooting. The 18 year old has now also been charged with the attempted murders of three people who were shot during the attack, but survived and with uh, using a weapon while committing a felony. The Biden administration has forgiven all student loan debt for Corinthian college students. The New York Times points out that it's uh, in its large 
largest student loan forgiveness action ever. The Education Department said on Wednesday that it would wipe out $5.8 billion owed by 560,000 borrowers who attended Corinthian Colleges, one of the nation's biggest for-profit college chains before it collapsed in 2015. This was a private institution. These were private loans. Taxpayers will now take up the debt. The debt cancellation will be automatic, meaning former Corinthian students will not have to apply to have their debt canceled. The Education Department will eliminate any remaining balance on the federal student loans of those who attended any Corinth campus or online program during the chain's 20-year existence. For far too long, Corinthian engaged in a wholesale financial exploitation of students, misleading them into taking on more and more debt to pay for promises they would never keep. That's a quote from Education Secretary Miguel Cardona. Again, a private institution, private loans that should be handled in the courts. Some question as to whether or not the Department of Education can legally do so because it doesn't eliminate the debt. It shifts it to the two thirds of the country that do not have a college education. The Wall Street Journal weighs in, saying the move follows calls from senior Democrats, including Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Durman of Illinois and Senate Banking Committee Chairman Sherrod Brown of Ohio, among others, for the department to move more quickly to forgive the longstanding debts. And, of course, there is a midterm election coming up. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. In our second hour, we'll hear from Josh Burnett. He is the co-author of Adulting 101. This is the second book on the subject. We'll also talk about the LGBTQI plus Pride Month caught in its own contradictions and a creative designer who's uh, taken free speech to the Supreme Court. They have agreed to hear the case in the next term. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up, we'll hear from Josh Burnett, author of, uh, well, Adulting 101. It's the second edition. Well, President Reagan would, uh, President Reagan's would-be assassin will receive an unconditional relief. The man who attempted to assassinate the president in 81, John Hinckley Jr., has been granted an unconditional release by the U.S. District Judge Paul Freedom. Uh, Hinckley will be released from a federal mental health facility on the 15th of this month for good behavior. In 81, just three months into his presidency, President Reagan was leaving the Hilton Hotel in Washington when he was fired upon by Hinckley. Reagan, D.C. Police Officer Tom Delante, U.S. Secret Service agent Timothy McCarthy and Press Secretary James Brady were all hit by the gunfire. Reagan was struck by four bullets and came dangerously close to dying. While he would go on to make a full recovery, the same could not be said for Brady, who was struck in the head and was paralyzed. Some 33 years later, Brady would die of his wound with his death being ruled a homicide. Hinckley was tried and found not guilty on account of insanity and was institutionalized. In his decision, which Friedman, the judge, made last September and confirmed on Wednesday, he asserted that if Hinckley had tried to kill, hadn't tried to kill a president, he would have been released unconditionally a long, long, long time ago. And while that sentiment might be true, one wonders if his release would have been uh, seriously considered, let alone granted, if he had, um, uh, if it had been a, a president more contemporary. A new study debunks the CDC's justification for the school mask mandate. The recent study published in the top medical journal, The Lancet, replicated and expanded the CDC study on masks and COVID infections in children and found no negative association. 
In other words, the study, which incorporated six times as much data as the original CDC study, found no link between mask mandates and COVID infection rates in school children. Well, as the study states, replicating the CDC study shows similar results. However, incorporating a larger sample in longer periods showed no significant relationship between mask mandates and case rates. A Chicago school is embracing a race-based student grading system. And while the existence of critical race theory's uh, presence in America's schools has been proven, it's long way from being expunged in the suburb of Chicago. It's uh, seemingly taken complete control of an area school beginning next school year at the Oak Park and River Forest High School. The grade students earn will be directly impacted by the color of their skin. It will also impact the future success of those students who will fall short of what's required to graduate. U.S. Marines are featuring rainbow-colored bullets for Pride Month. The U.S. raises the Pride flag at its embassy to the Holy See. Roman Catholic moral teaching says homosexual acts are a grave travesty. What is it that goes before the fall? Well, clerks have been asked for their phone numbers, their phone records, rather, in the Supreme Court probe. They're apparently getting serious. Republican lawmakers sent scathing letters to teachers unions, to the Teachers Union, American Federation of Teachers and Journalism, a rating tool NewsGuard on Wednesday, demanding information on their anti-misinformation partnership that would put NewsGuard on the devices of millions of American children. In an effort at damage control, a Harvey Weinstein advisor is in line to become the White House chief of staff. Anita Dunn, the senior Biden aide best known for providing damage control advice to disgraced Hollywood rapist Harvey Weinstein, is in line to take over as White House uh, chief of staff at the, after the midterm elections, NBC News reports. Dunn is widely considered to be a potential successor to Ron Klain, the current White House chief of staff, who several people close to a Biden told NBC News was planning to depart at some point after the midterms. Dunn uh, played a leading role in Biden's presidential campaign, served several months as a White House communications advisor. Earlier this year, Dunn secretly rejoined the White House as a special government employee to help uh, Biden prepare for his State of the Union address and overhaul the administration's bumbling response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. PolitiFact is now fact-checking criticism of its bad fact-checks. Hmm. Detroit, the city run by Democrats for 60 straight years, has been ranked the worst place to raise a family. And British Columbia is planning to decriminalize small amounts of illicit drugs. Iran has enough uranium to build an atomic bomb, according to a U.N. agency. Well, on this day in history, 1870, excuse me, 1897, Mark Twain is quoted by the New York Journal as saying from the from London that the report of my death was an exaggeration. Twain was responding to a report in the New York Herald that he was grievously ill and possibly dying. He wasn't. 1924, Congress passes and President Calvin Coolidge signs a measure guaranteeing full American citizenship for all Native Americans born within U.S. territorial limits. 1941, baseball's iron horse Lou Gehrig dies at age 37 in New York of a degenerative disease. The illness would become known as Lou Gehrig's disease. 1953, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II takes place in London's Westminster Abbey, 16 months after the death of her father, King George VI. 1979, Pope John Paul II arrives in his native Poland on the first visit by a pope to a communist country. 1986, for the first time, the public can watch the proceedings of the U.S. Senate on television as a six-week experiment begins. 
1997, Timothy McVeigh is convicted of murder and conspiracy in the 1995 bombing of the Alfred P. Murrow Federal Building in Oklahoma City that killed 168 people. McVeigh would be executed in June of 2001. 2004, the syndicated TV game show Jeopardy! begins, airing contestant Ken Jennings' 74-game-winning streak. 2018, bare-knuckle boxing matches take place in front of 2,000 rowdy fans at a hockey rink in Cheyenne, Wyoming. The event, promoted as the first legal, regulated, and sanctioned bare-knuckle fight event in U.S. history, features 10 bouts and is viewed by tens of thousands via pay-per-view. Uh, reaching for my notes. I want to remind you that you have a personal invitation to take part in the Pathways Clinic Run for Life. You can join me at the Pathways uh, Run for Life, the 10th anniversary celebration that's coming up this Saturday, June the 4th, at the Reflection Plaza in Washougal. There's something for everyone with a one-mile and 5K walk or a 10K run along the beautiful Columbia River Dyke Trail and a concert from Mark Lee of third day after the walk. Registration begins at 7.30 a.m. I'm going to be there along with uh, Crystal and Chris from The Fish, our sister station, 1041 The Fish. And the walk run begins at 9 a.m. There'll be fun for all ages before, during, and after the race, including... Well, some inspirational words from, well, me. Food, games, vendors, live music by Mark Lee and Third Day, all at Pathways Clinic Run for Life and their 10th anniversary celebration. And uh, just a reminder, later this hour, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets to the uh, Maverick City Music and Kirk Franklin Kingdom Tour at the Moda Center in Portland on the 20th of July, alongside Jonathan Reynolds and House Fires. Uh, We'll be giving away a pair of tickets this hour, and you can also enter online at kpdq.com to win tickets there as well. So check it out. Coming up, we're going to uh, hear a conversation with Josh uh, Burnett. He is a Chick-fil-A owner and co-author of Adulting 101. This is book two. That's coming up in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, my next guest and his co-author have written a book on adulting. In fact, it's titled Adulting 101 Book 2, which tells you there was a book one. Well, in this second edition of the book, Josh Burnett and Pete Hardesty offer life skills and practical advice to launch 20-somethings into healthy, successful adulthood. Now, the pair have a shared passion to guide emerging adults into becoming happy, fulfilled adults. Adulting 101 Book 2 is divided into two sections. Section 1 lays out expectations, skills, and resources about self-awareness, leadership, responsible consumption of social media, And Section 2 discusses mental health issues and offers solutions regarding anxiety, depression, and loneliness. Well, they also discuss the importance of knowing God and the ways in which your faith influences your life. Well, as um, uh, a uh, follow-up to their best-selling Adulting 101, the authors offer personal examples, valuable insight, and applicable questions to help their readers. With us today is Josh Burnett, one of the uh, authors of the book. He's a Chick-fil-A owner and operator, author, husband, and dad. His passion is investing in young people through his restaurant and his work with nonprofits. He served as a coach, speaker, and innovation leader throughout his career. In his free time, he enjoys reading, traveling, volunteering on several boards 
sports in the community and snowboarding. Well, he and his wife uh, currently reside in Yorktown, Virginia, with their three young children. He joins us today by phone to talk about this great resource for 20-somethings. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Burnett. Hey, thank you so much for the opportunity, Georgine. Now, let me ask you, first of all, this is Adulting 101, Book 2. Is it required that you read Book 1 in order to um, benefit from Book 2? Not at all. The, the two resources completely stand alone. And in all honesty, I think that we may have written the two backwards. An easy way to think about them is Book 1 really addresses some of the critical things that what an adult does. So this is buying or renting an apartment or buying a car or time management or interviewing jobs. So some of the hard skills, book two really addresses who a healthy adult is. Mm-hmm. So we, we wrote the first book. We felt like there was a very tangible need. And really the genesis of the second one was feedback that we received from the students that we work with saying, hey, this is great information, but we, we would love to see better modeled, like what is healthy adulthood and have a clear picture for that. Now, the word adulting has made, been made popular um, most recently. Sometimes it's uh, used in a way to uh, denigrate young people. In your case, it's to identify a skill set that I think a lot of young people aspire to. Talk a bit about the use of the word adulting and what your intention is in using it. Sure. So I feel like that word has really come into pop culture in a very negative way mm-hmm. where it's uh, you see T-shirts or mugs. I don't feel like adulting today. And, and I wonder how much of that has to do with not having a clear picture of what healthy adulthood looks like and just all the benefits and joy that can come with that. Uh, and so for Pete and I, really, we're addressing it because it's obviously a very popular word within the, the language of the people that we work with frequently but really wanting to put a positive spin on life continues to have the ability to get better and better and be more and more fulfilling and uh, to have a perception that it's kind of over when you have to quote unquote start adulting. Uh, it's just not the right message we want to send the young people. Now for my generation and I'm, <laughs> I've long been an adult. I just celebrated my 65th <laughs> birthday this past weekend. Uh, oh, the notion of, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the notion of a book outlining what it means to be an adult and how to conduct oneself would would be unthinkable. We, for the most part, derive that wisdom from our parents and grandparents. What has changed that this kind of resource is necessary? And I would argue that it is necessary because young people really seem to be grappling with some of the basics that seem um, that came naturally within the family unit in my generation and generations before. Sure. I think there's many different things that that go into this. Ultimately, I think the world continues to grow in increasing complexity and there's continues to be more and more things that could distract and tempt us and move us away um, from that healthy adulthood state. But really, I mean, for, for both Pete and I, the reason why we wrote this is we really noticed in the young people we were working with, me as an employer and him as a nonprofit leader, was the students we were getting had great hearts great work ethic, but really didn't have a clear picture of like how to do some of these basics. And they weren't learning that maybe at home from uh, their parents or parents. Uh, They weren't getting that very important information through school or wherever they might be at. And so we're kind of the next step right after the family and the school. It's the employer and uh, just kind of broke both of our hearts. And we were like, we want to care for this generation well. And uh, these students have this felt need. I mean, I can't tell you mm-hmm. how many folks I've 
sat down with and said, okay, this is kind of how to buy a car. And uh, after the nth number of uh, conversations around that, that was really when we decided to put pen to paper and say, all right, how, how do we help more people with this more consistently? But yeah. yeah, really a lot of it just not being seen or maybe there's just not the opportunity to happen in the home. In the back of your book, you write, growing old is mandatory, growing up is optional. And you're talking about young people who long to uh, to know what it means to grow up, what it looks like, how to manage certain uh, things that are sort of rites of passage when you are in your 20s. And your book gives them the practical wisdom that they need uh, to do just that. Now let's talk about the difference between knowledge. There's a lot of information. We live in an information age. And wisdom. What are some tips on how to gain wisdom uh, in the midst of so much um, access to information? Sure. So, yes, to your point, I mean, we live with an encyclopedia in our pocket at any given time. Uh, we've never had to question the ability to find knowledge. But I feel like wisdom is the application of that. And knowledge has almost become a commodity where we don't take it that next step to apply wisdom. And so Pete and I give just a few tips and tricks around, uh, I mean, honestly, a lot of basics, but uh, developing self-awareness is a big piece of this. And how are you coming across? Um, so in order to gain wisdom and understanding, you first need to understand yourself. We talk about engaging in different experiences and finding a uh, constellation of mentors, people that you want to be more like, and spending time with them and, and just really finding new experiences to be a part of. We feel like we gain and learn so much from engaging with people that are different than us and visiting places that are unfamiliar and really want to encourage people to kind of take the next step and uh, be able to apply some of that knowledge and turn it into wisdom. You begin uh, the book on the subject of self-awareness um, in an age where social media focuses a lot of attention on oneself and what others, how others perceive us. Talk about the, the subject of self-awareness and um, the fact that it's a cornerstone to adulthood. Sure. So we, we kind of build the first section of this book around what is healthy adulthood. And we say that it's knowing yourself and then leading yourself and then knowing others and leading others. So we start chapter one around the concept of self-awareness and Back to the whole point as everybody grows up, but I mean, you, everybody gets old, but they don't always grow up. Um, I mean, we all know a lot of folks in our lives that have continued to get older and older, but they still are very unaware of who they really are. And they've struggled to look in the mirror in terms of mm -hmm. how do they come across to the people that are in their lives and their relationships. So we, we try to give, again, some, some basic tips and tricks. And really, we desire this book to be a great launching point. We cover a lot of topics. Um, in pretty quick fashion. And so we really desire this to be a wonderful resource for parents, for employers, for youth group leaders, whoever it might be that you have somebody in your life that's a little bit younger and they're like, hey, I want to start this dialogue and really helping to launch uh, this student in my life well. Um, that's really the desire for this book is to be that resource. Well, and it is a great practical resource in all the ways you've just described. Now, I need to take a break here in a moment, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, we're talking about the uh, book Adulting 101. We're talking about book two, but there is also a book one, and it would make a great gift for a graduate or someone in your life that you uh, want to help mentor into um, uh, strong adulthood. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about how you can acquire the book when we return as well. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, continuing my conversation with Josh Burnett in just a few moments. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. I'm continuing my conversation with Josh Burnett. He is a Chick-fil-A owner and operator, spends a lot of time around young people. He's also the co-author, along with um, uh, his uh, co-author, Pete Hardesty, of the book Adulting 101, Book 2. As I mentioned uh, earlier, there's also a book one, and I would encourage you to pick up both. Uh, Great resources to uh, engage in conversation with young people, or if you happen to fit into that category, to sort of guide you through some of the questions and things you ought to be thinking about to become a responsible thinking and um, well, what's the word I'm I'm trying to think of anyway? Adults, so all of those, uh, all of those things. Um, you recommend young adults find friends who are different than they are. Uh, talk about the value of a mentor and how uh, to find a mentor and and to find and cultivate relationships with people who uh, are different than than you might happen to be. Sure. So we'll, we can split that up into two different pieces. I feel like a a mentor, just somebody that's a little bit ahead of you in life that you aspire to be more like and uh, always seeking out not necessarily even just one person and it doesn't even have to be particularly formal but having different older people in your life that you want to grow and learn and be more like really help to give you guidance into where you're at in your journey and so this has been something that's been really crucial for me over my years in fact my co-author i would say has been one of those mentors but really somebody that gives you great perspective being able to kind of look back and give you a much more objective point of view than what you're able to have in the moment. And that can be as informal as uh, engaging with uh, maybe friends of, if you're a younger person of, of your parents that you, you like, that, hey, you could see sitting down over a cup of coffee or over a meal and just hearing a little bit more about their story and really wanting to learn about who they are and their lives. So, Having mentors, not just one, but a multitude of people that you can pull from and get valuable information is crucial. Second piece of that is engaging with people that are unlike yourself. It's very easy for us to kind of go back into these silos of comfort. And as a result, we can continue to, if you, if you only surround yourself with people that think the same way that you do or like the same things that you like, then you, you don't have an opportunity to experience how vibrant life can truly be. I would say some of my biggest learnings in life have been from the people that believe as differently from me as can be. Um, So I I try to seek out the smartest people that I respect and care for that completely disagree with everything that I believe. And I, I feel as though I get a chance to understand myself a little bit better, but also have a chance to understand where they're coming from and point of view as well. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. You write about uh, emotional quotient and cultural quotient, EQ and CQ, um, and that touches on what you just mentioned. But what are some of the ways to grow our emotional and cultural intelligence? Sure. So with EQ, that's going to be like your emotional quotient or your emotional maturity. And we give, again, just a few tips and tricks that this applies to. We, we talk about this within the context of knowing and engaging with other people and having the ability to read that well. Uh, the, the biggest thing is, hey, what do your listening skills look like? Are you a good listener that can uh, be in a conversation and genuinely hear what that other person is saying? And that alone, I mean, so in the industry that I'm in, I have the privilege of working with the public. 
and occasionally we'll have some folks that are that are upset about something that we've messed up and nine times out of ten they just want to be heard mm-hmm. there there's something else in their life that is very hard or frustrating we've made a mistake and they're very upset and if you just let them have a chance to to express that um, it really goes a long way to diffuse the situation we talk about um, even just smiling more a conversation can look very very different this is one of the skills that we work on at chick-fil-a actually is we talk a lot about the the ability to to smile and to share a smile with a guest and i think again to the to being able to read and understand other people that this is a huge deal yeah yeah i appreciate that you also have a segment in the book where you talk about how we communicate with others through social media and technology what the etiquette should be um, how to um, how to approach all of that, and that that's a big deal, not only in terms of personal relationship with uh, individuals on social media, but how it impacts our professional life in the future. Sure, I think the biggest, I mean, overarching filter is remember that there's a human being on the other side of it. So for for young folks that have grown up with an iPhone in hand, and it's a very natural extension of who they are in their body, um, it is very easy to just see a screen and not see a person on the other side of it. So with any of the etiquette components we we talk a lot about, just remember that there's a real person on the other side and how would that feel if it were you? And treating the person digitally the same way you would in in person. Are you going to yell and scream or be that upset if they were staring and looking at you face to face? And we we talk a lot about even um, we've kind of confused over time this communication for connection. We, we have the ability to engage with so many people in our pocket at any time. Um, and sometimes we'll, we'll confuse our friend group and people that care about us um, for actually just pieces of communication instead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in the second half of your book, you discuss mental health issues and offer solutions on anxiety and depression and loneliness. Let's begin with uh, loneliness, which is um, epidemic in our culture in general, but certainly among young people. What kind of uh, advice do you offer young people with regard to loneliness, even though they have access through technology, as you were just discussing, to so many more people than they might just in the normal course of life? Uh, first of all, why is loneliness such an uh, acute issue, and how do you address it among those uh, who are adulting? Sure. So this is my the, the part that I like to make sure to give a disclaimer. So um, as is known, I'm a, I'm a Chick-fil-A owner-operator, but both Pete and I, we resource about five different um, counselors and therapists that we really trust their opinion to help us really create and cultivate the content in the second half of the book. So the information that's in this, uh, especially if somebody's listening to this right now, it's like, wait, I thought he sold chicken. Um, we, we did take <laughs> a lot of this information um, from these other folks that do this professionally and for a living, and they helped us to craft these content, this content. And so for each topic, there's going to be two chapters. The, the first one's going to be about helping to better understand or define what that is. So in the scenario, loneliness. And then the second one is just some entry-level ideas around, hey, how do you go about overcoming loneliness? And for each of the mental health topics, we also say, hey, even if this doesn't apply to you, here's how you help a friend in need, or here's how you identify a friend in need. So you might be listening to this broadcast and you're like, man, that doesn't really apply to me, but I'm sure there's somebody in your sphere of influence that it does apply to. And we wanted to make sure to address that as well. So again, this is really intended to be a great 
launching point to say, hey, okay, I do feel loneliness, and here's some next steps to help me work through that. Um, but as you know, there's infinite content seemingly written about each of these topics. So some of the very practical components, and as basic as it may sound, is really just going out and getting involved. Find a workplace, find a common interest group, find a church or a small group, and get connected or plugged in with some, with a group of people or with somebody else that has similar interests. And then really being the person to initiate that. And that's sometimes the scariest thing. That's mm -hmm. the wall that keeps us from moving forward is being concerned about taking a risk and moving and, and putting yourself out there. So we really just encourage you, hey, initiate and get out there, be real and vulnerable, and then have patience. Um, sometimes with living in the age of instant, we want everything right now. And oftentimes friendships and relationships don't don't work that way. It takes time. It takes uh, energy and effort. And if we bail at the first sign of challenge, then we'll always be cycling through people for our entire lives. Yeah, yeah. We're just about out of time, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on the close of the book. You have a chapter on faith um, as a critical element of adulthood. Can you talk a bit about that? Of course. So for both Pete and I, um, our faith and who we are with Jesus means more to us than anything else. But the way that both books were written was so that it would appeal to more than just people with a faith background. So the desire is, hey, this information applies to anybody, wherever they're at in their journey. But at the end, we'd like to bring it home to say, hey, for, for Pete and I, this is a critical part of who we are. And this really is the lens that we're looking at the world through. And because of that, and because of who we know we are in Jesus, that is what provides us um, that security and that kind of paints that self-awareness picture and that, that influences how we engage and care for other people. And so we want to make sure that if we write a book around healthy adulthood, uh, it's really got to launch with that foundation. So we try yeah. to close with that at the end. Yeah. Now, how can our listeners acquire copies of Adulting 101, Books 1 and 2? It's at any major retailer online. And Amazon is kind of the classic marketplace for that. Excellent. Well, Josh, thank you so much for the books and thank you for joining us here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. As promised, we want to give away a pair of tickets to see Maverick City Music with Kirk Franklin. That's coming to the Moda Center here in Portland on the 20th of July. You'll also enjoy Jonathan McReynolds, great songwriter and performer, House Fires. Not familiar with them, but I'm sure they're going to be great as well. We have uh, two tickets to give away here on the program, but I also want to encourage you, you can enter to win online at kpdq.com. So a couple of ways to do that and uh, one of them by calling today in fact we're going to give that pair of tickets away to the first caller to 800-845-2162 that's 800-845-2162 first caller wins a pair of tickets to see maverick city music with kirk franklin jonathan mcreynolds and house fires coming to the moda center on the 20th of july and by the way you can also find the link to buy tickets at kpdq.com with all the important details so check that out
I read with some interest a column written by Ben Shapiro uh, in which he points out, as we all now know, because you cannot escape it, that June marks the LGBTQI plus Pride Month, a month honoring those who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer and intersex. If you wondered what all of those initials uh, stand for. Well, he points out this ever expanding rubric revolves around a particular value system entirely embraced by the modern left. The notion that a person's core identity ought to lie not in the relationship between individual desires and societal duties, but instead ought to revolve around a subjective sense of self unverifiable by the world, by the world rather at large and justified against all societal roles and rules. President Biden has said as much from the White House in a proclamation. He urged Americans to wave their flags of pride high. It is worth noting that an entire side of the political aisle in the United States now finds the so-called pride flag far less controversial than the American flag itself. The president stated this month, we remind the LGBTQI plus community that they are loved and cherished. My administration sees you for who you are, deserving of dignity, respect and support. I think every individual is deserving of dignity, respect and support. But seeing an individual as who they are has become something of a controversy. People choose not to be who they actually are. Of course, seeing people uh, for who they are typically requires some sort of objective standard. It's literally impossible to see someone for who he is based on his own internal self-perception. This means that the president is using perfectly Orwellian euphemisms to say that we all ought to validate the self-perception of any uh, he, she, she, or um, cat self, and that's actually a category as well. Well, this perspective is absolutely incoherent. Quoting from Ben Shapiro, he writes, ironically, this incoherence is exposed by the conflict between the different letters within the alphabet soup of the supposedly sexually marginalized. The case for tolerance of lesbian and gay Americans used to be that biological biological drives should not be regulated by society at large because such drives were inborn and innate. That idea at least had the merit of internal consistency. Now, however, that idea has been jettisoned for its logical opposite. The belief that biology has no hold on us whatsoever and that we ought to be free to define ourselves in opposition to our own biology, changing our gender and sexual orientation at will. Homosexual orientation relies on the continued distinction between the sexes. After all, while prefer male or females if those sexes are mere social constructs. Transgenderism, on the other hand, relies on the absolute malleability of sex. This is the reason that so-called TERFs, Trans-exclusionary radical feminists are so bewildered by the suddenly midstream view that women's rights ought to be extended to biological males. It is confusing. And yet, here we are, told by the White House that we must ignore the internal contradictions of sexual ideology on the left and simply pretend the incoherence away. We are told that we ought to stand for women's rights by the same people who insist that Leah Thomas is a woman. We are told that... Uh, That one need not be a biological female to be a lesbian. We are told that biology dictates behavior, but that biology must never be used as an identifier. Well, none of this makes uh, a whit of sense, but we ought to be proud of it because, after all, it's it liberates us to celebrate our inner sense of authenticity free of society's strictures, even if that authenticity contradicts what we actually biologically are.
Well, there is only one problem, of course. This sort of illogic quickly devolves into anarchy. There's no way to speak coherently with one another, absent objective meaning, let alone to reach consensus, suggesting that the world at large owes each of us validation for our innermost desires is a recipe for complete chaos. And we're already witnessing at least some of that. Unity can only come from opposition to something. And in this case, that means opposition to tradition, institutions and the roles that actually facilitate human flourishing. This is the month that we find ourselves in. And yet another story, Liberty Council filed an amicus brief with the U.S. Supreme Court in 303 Creative versus Alanis in support of a Denver area website designer subject to a Colorado state law that censors and coerces speech of creative professionals whose religious beliefs don't conform to state accepted beliefs. Now, the court will likely hear the case in the upcoming 2022 term starting this fall. Now, through her business, 303 Creative, Colorado native Lori Smith, she creates unique and beautiful websites for her clients. She named her business 303 Creative because 303 is the Denver metro area code she works from. Well, Smith uh, serves everyone but cannot use her design skills and creativity to express messages that violate her deeply held religious beliefs. However, under Colorado's Anti-Discrimination Act, she could be punished simply for offering to create websites only celebrating weddings consistent with her beliefs that marriage is between one man and one woman. Now, she started her business in 2012 to exercise creative freedom. Yet Colorado's law would force her to use her artistic web design skills to speak messages celebrating same-sex marriage. In addition... The law acts as a gag order that prevents her from expressing on her website the reasons why she only creates messages celebrating certain ideas. Ironically, Colorado's public accommodation law allows secular artists, but not religious ones like Smith, to make message based refusals. Well, Smith relied on a uh, rather filed a lawsuit in 2016 in federal court. Nearly three years later, the judge issued a final ruling allowing Colorado officials to force her to design and publish websites promoting messages that conflict with her um, core religious Values In September of 2021, she asked the Supreme Court to take up her case and uh, reverse the Tenth Circuit ruling and protect her First Amendment rights. The high court has granted her a petition in February of this year. So that's a case that we'll certainly be following in the days ahead. Well, we're out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you'll join us here tomorrow. We'll share this week's Christian Outlook. We'll take a look at the lighter side of the news, give away our last pair of Maverick City concert tickets, and, well, we've got much, much more. So I hope you'll join us. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.